Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay, Quillette's Canadian editor. Jamie Kilstein is one of the most unusual members of the Quillette universe. Unlike most of our contributors, he's not an academic or a professional journalist. Rather, he's a comedian. And you'd know this if you joined us at the Quillette Social here in Toronto earlier this year, because Jamie Kilstein flew in from California for that event and brought the house down. But he has a serious side too, and in August 2018, he showed it to the world with a Quillette article entitled, I Sold My Soul on Twitter, Now I'm Trying to Win It Back, about how he had shed his one-time role of social justice warrior and the price he paid as a result with some of his former friends and peers. His new project is called The Jamie Kilstein Podcast. In March, I phoned him in California to talk about it. Here are excerpts from that conversation. So tell me about your new podcast. What's it called and what's it about? Yeah, so it is creatively called the Jamie Kilstein Podcast. And it was, I started it originally as a way to avoid politics, essentially. Um, For anyone who read my piece on Quillette, Um, that I wrote, I used to be part of the sort of like radical left attack dog. I'm going to feel self-righteous every morning on Twitter and yell at strangers because I'm slowly dying inside while living in Park Slope, Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, I used to have a very political podcast on the left. And uh, when I started a new podcast, now that I'm living out in Los Angeles, um, I escaped the liberal hub of Park Slope for Los Angeles. Um, when I started I, the Jamie Kilstein podcast, originally, I really wanted to avoid talking about politics. I, I felt like I was burned out. I was scared that I would turn into a different kind of attack dog. You know, maybe I wouldn't be as liberal, but I didn't want to be a hypocrite and you know, be a centrist yelling at people on Twitter or uh, a, a conservative yelling at people on Twitter. And I was really happy here in LA. I was, I, I, I was healthy. Um, I have a great girlfriend right now. I was doing jujitsu every day. I was meditating because I feel like that's like legally required when you move to Los Angeles. And originally what the podcast was is it was other issues I cared about that weren't political. So I talked a lot about depression and suicide and, you know, told screw up stories when I was dating. And it was kind of what every other comedian does um, in a lot of ways. And I was avoiding politics and it was great, man. It was, it was fucking great just to log off of Twitter. And I'm like, I barely knew about this Russia investigation. And by the, by the way, it turns out I I was right for not (laughs) investing a lot, uh, into it. And then I just started having a bunch of meetings and people from comedy people I respect to journalists I respect asking why I wasn't talking about politics and 
I gave this kind of self-righteous answer about finding myself and it's all about connecting with people and being off your phones and all that. And a lot of them looked at me and it was really my girlfriend who looked at me and was like, well, just if you want to talk about politics, talk about it. Just don't turn into that asshole. Like I sort of just thought it was a foregone conclusion that if I start talking about politics, suddenly I'll turn into this like stark raving monster again. And, uh, you know, she kind of pointed out like, you don't have to do that. You can just talk about what you want the way you want. So what I've been doing, and I almost gave up on the podcast entirely, but what I've been doing instead of one day a week talking about sad shit, it's now five days a week. Um, it is 20 minutes long, which is a relief to, I think any podcast subscriber, I still have like 18 hours of like last week's Joe Rogan to catch up on. And it's giving me a panic. And I talk about stories that came out that day. Um, but I won't just read from one website. I'll maybe take a story from CNN, but then maybe I'll take a story from Quillette. Maybe I'll take a story from the National Review, which I never did, um, or like The Intercept, like a very like lefty website. And what I'll try to do is essentially I'm trying to figure out who I am without a tribe. And I feel like lots of people are doing that. And I've met with from producers to famous liberals to, you know, you guys at Quillette, like I've met a lot of people who are sick of extremes on both sides and they're sick of people just shouting talking points at each other on Facebook and they really want to listen. And, you know, I forget if I said this in the Quillette article, but there was a, a long period where it was tempting to go full conservative. I felt like I lost my friends on the left and you know, I lost all my money for a certain period and I probably would have made a bazillion dollars if I wrote a book that was like, why I left the left and the right was right. And someone would have... That's an awesome title. But I'm, I'm going to interrupt you there because I've helped a few people in the early stages of, of thinking about their audience for podcasts. And sometimes the very first question they're asked by prospective advertisers or producers is, uh, what's your tribe? And if you don't have a tribe, list all the famous people who are going to be on the podcast. Is it possible, even for a, a funny, thoughtful person, to create a podcast that isn't tribal and doesn't have just a succession of celebrities come on to market the thing? So this is my experiment, and that's a great question, and this is what I'm trying to figure out. My, my goal with this is to never have any sponsors. Um, to strictly make money from people like on Patreon who just want to support the show. And it's that's very difficult when you don't have a tribe because maybe somebody pays $10 a month and they're very liberal and then I say something they don't like that's a little more conservative and maybe they cancel. Maybe the opposite happens. But I truly believe that we need more shows like this, um, especially in comedy. Um, I truly believe that there are faults on both sides to make fun of, that's the fun part. But I've only been doing it for two weeks and it's the most emails I've gotten in a very long time. Let me ask and you a question though about um, podcasting without a tribe, so to speak, especially in the United States. Uh, because for all the talk about Joe Rogan and and, and, and other podcasters who've become successful in the last few years, 
the United States arguably does have a huge anti-tribal podcaster, which is called NPR. Uh, National Public Radio uh, operates dozens of podcasts. Uh, NPR is nonpartisan. And, you know, anybody could subscribe anytime they want to, you know, All Things Considered, Morning Edition, uh, Planet Money. Some of these are, are NPR affiliated. They're not necessarily produced by NPR. But how can a small independent like you compete against the product that's already coming out, even from uh, nonpartisan sources uh, like NPR? Well, I mean, one thing is I think the majority of people on the left would consider NPR very liberal. Um, you know, even though there are shows like Planet Money and and, and, and stuff like that, you know. As a I Canadian, mean, as a Canadian, I find it centrist, but I get it. So to an American, it must seem liberal. I mean, it's, well, especially to conservatives. Um, I mean, it's sort of part of the cliche of like living in like when I lived in Park Slope is like, you know, you're a vegan who goes to the co-op and wakes up to your like Terry Gross alarm clock. Um, it, 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 it is very um, it is considered liberal. Now, the left obviously doesn't think it's liberal enough, um, but it's I wouldn't consider it uh, conservative by any means. I mean, I remember I did a show once where it was like me, Rachel Maddow and Ira Glass. I mean, I think I have so many thoughts on this. So one is so without tribalism, I do feel, you know, what I was really proud of and I still am proud of of my old show is that we never had advertisers. Um, I remember at one point we were covering uh, we were covering the domestic wiretapping that was happening and uh, from AT&T and our boss when we were working for a company, which we didn't after this, wanted AT&T to sponsor our show. And we were kind of like, you know, we were these like new radicals and we were like, fuck that. Like, how are we going to advertise them? Like, if you want to be spied on, be spied on by the best AT&T. So we like walked from there and we built up this independent audience. I mean, well, when we quit, actually, uh, Robin Williams, like just offered to fund us for a year. So he saved our life and, you know, paid for a year. To, to support the show, paid our salary. Wait, so uh, wait a second. Was, uh, you can't just yada, yada, yada Robin Williams. How did Robin Williams get excited about your show? Well, he started coming to see my stand-up shows when I would perform in San Francisco, and he kind of became everything to me. I mean, he, the first night we met, he said, what can, what do you need? And I said, anything? Um, and the next week I had my managers, I was with CAA, um, he was sending people to all my shows. He was name dropping me and like interviews he did overseas. Um, and then someone told him that we were kind of in trouble with the show cause we quit that network and he asked how much we were making. And then suddenly an accountant was sending me a check every month. So even though we had no sponsors, it was technically, you know, sponsored by Robin Williams and more important than money or agents or anything like that. Um, you know, we used to talk about, uh, depression. We used to talk about my depression. He would call me, um, when I wanted to quit comedy, when I was depressed and, you know, when, when anyone commits suicide, you, you make it about you, you become selfish a little bit, whether it's what could I have done or whatever. But I remember my first thought being like, well, shit, if the guy who was talking me out of suicide committed suicide, like I'm fucked, I got nothing. And, you know, it was devastating. We, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was awful. But 
but yeah, so he supported it. And, and then we started getting donors in. We used the NPR model. We used the Patreon model, except we couldn't afford to send them tote bags if they donated. And because we were tribalized on that side, we didn't have as big of an audience as NPR, but we were making a ton of money because we were speaking for people who felt like they didn't have a voice. And the only thing I'm stealing from what I did to co-create that show that I'm doing now is I'm not listening to people who say you need a tribe or you need famous people. So this goes back to your question. I feel like for any artist listening to this show or for anyone who wants to do something outside of the box, if you think about, and look, I mean, John, you've gotten desperate emails from me when I was about to just do something for the sake of it or for the sake of money, where like, but the times you really just follow your heart and make the thing you want to make, even if that thing doesn't seem financially viable, that's usually when you end up finding something that's financially viable, because that means that it's something that's so dumb and so fucking risky that a bunch of other people are probably thirsty for it, but they're just too scared to do it too, or they're not saying anything. Oh my God. You just, you just described Quillette. You just described why, how I came to Quillette. You described how, how Claire created Quillette, uh, Claire Lehman, my boss. Yeah. Um, so uh, well said. However, yeah. let, let me ask you this though. You talked at the Quillette Social in Toronto a couple of months ago when we had a few hundred people. You were hilarious. Uh, we actually have clips on that in one of the previous episodes of the Quillette podcast. But like me, you're somebody who sometimes gets angry at the mob. And there's the threat of like, am I going to be part of an anti-mob mob? Am I going to be part of an anti-tribe tribe? Do you ever catch yourself being swept up in the old instincts you might have once had it as a social justice warrior, so to speak, in a sort of like attack dog capacity against those forces? And you have to check yourself and say, in my radical anti-tribalism, I cannot become part of another tribe? Yes, um, 100%. And a lot of that just has to do with staying off of Twitter, Definitely not starting fights. Um, what I'm doing on the podcast is trying to, you know, a, a, a lot of times when we are in a tribe, right, whether it's uh, a Quillette centrist anti-mob tribe, whether it's the left, whether it's the right, I'm sure many people listening to this have caught themselves seeing an article being like, I don't know how I feel about this yet. And going to Twitter to see what the people you look up to or the people in your tribe think. And you go, oh, okay. And by not doing that, it's just re – and by building an audience that comes from everywhere, people who read me on Quillette, uh, people who knew me back from like when I was doing stand-up on Conan. Like, I mean, dude, even when I was doing stand-up on Conan, like I was going after Obama with liberal ideas. Like I've never made great business decisions. Like I always did kind of <laughs> have this in me, you know? Um, and, but by just being like reading the article and being like, this is how I feel about it. And then asking people, how do you feel about it? Please tell me, please write in. And I'm going to read this email and I'm going to think about it. I'm not going to just attack you. And again, that's not the sexiest pitch for a podcast, but the emails I've gotten from people who have been like, I hated that you were going to read right wing articles and I loved it so far are really, really, th that doesn't mean they're conservative. 
I'm not trying to turn people conservative. I'm not trying to turn conservatives liberal, but I'm trying to show people that one, when you can laugh at yourself and when you can laugh at both sides, the world is just a lot more fucking fun and it's a lot nicer and you feel a lot less self-righteous and like filled with like internet online rage. Okay. I want to, I want to ask you about limiting that online rage because I'm one of a hundred percent of Twitter users who's always thinking about how I can use Twitter less. Yeah. And it sounds like you've you've accomplished that a little bit. And I think I, I have seen you less on social media. One thing that, that blocks me from using Twitter less is, well, first of all, professionally, I have to use Twitter to promote Quillette articles and uh, promote my authors and stuff like that. And I use it as a recruiting tool. But the other thing is, because I've been on Twitter for so long, and, you know, I have a certain number of, of followers, I'm not a celebrity, but I have a certain number of followers and people know I can be feisty, they email me stuff. They said, well, you look at what this jerk is saying. Well, you look at what this, this guy's getting mobbed. And it's kind yeah. of like, it's expected that I'm going to enlist in these campaigns. And yeah. I, don't, I don't want to let the team down. Does that happen to you? Like, do you have that to say no? Right. So it doesn't anymore, probably because I'm more of a liability than a help. But it, uh, it used to. When I had my old show and I was on the left, is I would have people, and sometimes I got excited about it. And other times, man... I would just freak out and be like, leave me alone. Like people would just tag me in some fucking pre-existing argument or they'd like tag me and they'd be like, hey, did you see this guy's calling you a cuck? And I was like, no, man, because I was having a great morning and I don't want to see that a stranger's calling me a cuck. I was like very happy feeling non-cuckabuck. But, but they, they, they think they're doing you a favor. Like, yeah. hey, 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 um, this is your morning cuck bulletin. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and by the way, I was a frequent, uh, a frequent guest on that bulletin. And but at the same time, it's like their motives aren't really pure either. Well, they want to stir the pot. Yeah, they are stuck in their spiral. And so they want to drag other people in, especially if it I mean, man, this all comes down to like what happened, what we used to do in high school. And it's hard right now because I want to promote the show and I know the best way to promote the show is like going after people and that's what I used to do. But again, I'm just trying different models. I would rather go on this show and have a good conversation. I would rather, I reached out to, uh, I was talking to Joe about going back on his show and I reached out to someone at the Daily Wire about going back on his show and then like liberal comedy podcast. I would rather have good conversations and be like, hey, this is what I'm about. Now, I don't have a ton of followers, but I have over 30,000 and my thing's verified. And it's much more boring just to write on today's podcast, we discuss this, this, and this, and it'll get five faves, maybe a retweet, and then I go away. And it doesn't give you that rush of, oh, I'm fighting with people and and whatever. But you you have to figure out what is your, and this is for you and for your listeners, what is your purpose of doing it? Is your purpose really... Because, you know, for me, when I was getting a bunch of retweets from famous people, my purpose wasn't to change anything. My purpose was to get retweets from famous people. And I knew how to do it. And now my purpose is I want people to listen to this show. Um, I want more shows like this to exist. I want to amplify intelligent, thoughtful voices on both sides. Um, But you're not going to do that by yelling at someone. If you walk up and start screaming at someone on the street, you're not going to change their mind. I feel like so much of Twitter arguments and so much of what you get pulled into, it's just literally people shouting their talking points at each other. No one's actually listening. 
If someone came up to you on the street and was like, let me shout my truth at you, you'd be like, this is a fucking nightmare. You'd walk away from it. Um, You're letting these people invade your space. And what's even scarier about social media is we carry that everywhere. I mean, when I got mobbed on social media or when I get called a cuck, like I assume these people exist everywhere. Because you're taking your phone on dates with you. You're taking it while you're shitting. You're like, someone's calling me a snowflake while I'm taking a shit. And it's like, no, you're choosing to look at your phone. Those people do not exist. The days I put my phone away, the days I go on dates with my girlfriend and I leave my phone at home, it's a beautiful world out there. Um, it only, we, we're bringing that, we're choosing to bring all that stuff in. And I feel like when your product is good enough, whether it's Quillette, whether it's my podcast, if the product's good enough, people will eventually come. I really hope so, and I really believe it. So you told you, you told this hilarious joke. You brought the house down, I thought, at the Quillette Social. I didn't know you were going to do comedy, but you did. Uh, this is the event in Toronto. And you told this joke, I'm paraphrasing, but I think you were talking about your life as a social justice warrior, and you talked about this time. Uh, someone said, oh, Jamie, your mom's on the phone. And, and you said... Tell her I can't talk. I'm too busy tweeting about feminism. Yeah. Yeah. That but is, did, totally. that, did that happen? Is that like, it's, it's, it's a pretty funny Many story. Many things but did... like that happened in the sense that I was ignoring my family, including women and people around me to put out this self-righteous image to the world where I can tell you a hundred percent now that I am not doing that, I don't have as much money as I used to. I think I will one day, um, but I don't right now. Um, but I can tell you it is the happiest I've ever been. It is the healthiest I've ever been. It is the best boyfriend I've ever been, the best friend, the best son, the best brother. Okay, okay, okay. Get over yourself. Yeah, but it yeah. is. But by the way, <laughs> the uh, I, I like your equal opportunity approach to humor, including at the Quillette Social, you made a hilarious crack about me losing my blue check mark. Did I? Oh, yeah. You took on everybody. You took on the New York Times. You took on Quillette itself. You knew David Frum was in the room with the Quillette Social, yep. but you still made an Iraq war joke. Did yeah. you have to think about that? I mean, there was a second where I was like, do I? Well, th- th- so this is where that tribal instinct came from, right? I used to, I'm still blocked. Like I was like, oh, I should make a joke about how like even me and Dave like from can be friends or whatever. And like, he still has me blocked. I'm going to change that. I'm going to, if one thing comes out of this podcast, yeah, I'm going to email David. Uh, yeah. On just uh, a Canadian to Canadian basis. And I'm going to, I'm going to get that changed. Then I will follow him. Yeah. And my first thought was, Oh my God, there's this guy I have shit all over. But then my second thought, and I'm ashamed of this, but I'll be like, totally honest with you. This is again, what I'm trying to do is like new Jamie. Um, my second thought was, oh, that would be a really good connection. And maybe like, you know, maybe I should go like a little more conservative and like, look, I can like rub elbows with this like really powerful conservative guy. And I do like a lot of the things he's talked about recently. Um, and, and I was like, maybe I should take this out by having this Iraq war line. That'll kill that chance. And then I had to like walk that back and be like, no, man, I believe this. This is something I believe. Now, the difference is old me would have fucking called him out like in the room and made a production out of it and then bragged about it on my podcast. Again, not accomplishing anything. Let me shout my truth at you. But 
new me is like, and what I'm trying to do is I have this, I have this rant, I have this prepared thing. And like you said, I, I went after everyone, not because I'm trying to be the, I'm going to go after everyone. Do you remember that Bill Hicks bit when he was talking about like advertisers and like Bill Hicks would like fucking go after advertisers. Like you're the sucker of Satan's cock, blah, blah, blah. And, and right away he would be like, he would imitate the marketers being like, Oh, Bill's going after that anti-marketing marketing dollar. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that was me where I'm like, I don't want to be that guy either. You know, people on the left say I'm that. I mean, I wrote one piece for Quillette and I was called transphobic and alt-right and I don't mention trans people in the article. Uh, oh no, they just throw it, they throw it in like the way you throw in Gesundheit when you sneeze. Yeah. Uh, that accusations of transphobia, it's, it's, it was, they don't even think about it. It was horrifying. And uh, so people always want to put you in a box. And so, yeah, I don't want to be that guy either. Um, what I do want to be is someone who has many different views, like lots of people do. And can state those views, can say, hey, I'm, you know, this is the part I agree with on the left. This is the part I've gotten a little more conservative on. This is where I can see the conservatives view. I still disagree with it. Like, um, and that's how I felt. And that's why I think if I took that line out, just because maybe, yeah, David Frum would follow me on Twitter, um, I would have been doing a disservice to what I'm trying to accomplish, um, even if it's just for myself. Uh, okay. Okay. Wait, I'm going to, I'm going to start cause we, we don't have much longer and I want to ask you a question cause I know, uh, you have been on, uh, on Joe Rogan's show. Yep. Um, and look, it's counterintuitive. The guy does three hour shows. How does he do it? Like, you know, you, you've, you've, you've been inside the studio, uh, to, you know, for a lot of people, 20 minutes is too long for a podcast. He does it for three hours what's his trick and, and and tell me about some other podcasters whose work you admire. Yeah. So here's what I always say about Joe. Um, and this actually goes back to what I was saying about my show and what you were saying about Quillette. And again, to anyone who wants to make anything, I remember we used to get podcast or we used to get emails to the old, uh, podcast that I did with, uh, my ex and they would be like, Hey, we want to do like a political podcast. And like, we're like a couple and we want to be like, funny about like the news and we're like that's our podcast <laughs> you're you're saying you want to do our podcast which is fine but you need to find what's unique to you and for joe besides thank god allowing us to use the bathroom when we're like two and a half hours in um if you were to market joe if you were to pitch joe rogan's podcast to a big agency before it existed and we're like all right we're gonna have a podcast and we're going to talk about hunting and UFC. And then they'll be like, oh, okay, so it's going to be like for guys. It's like, wait, wait, wait. We're also going to like bring on like jujitsu instructors who talk about conspiracies. And then we're going to have people who have been ostracized by the left. And it's like, okay, so it's going to be like a right-wing podcast. It's like, nope. We're also going to have Abby Martin on and these people who are very liberal. And people will be like, what the fuck is your demographic? What is your market? What are you going for? And he would say, I don't care. He did a show. And the reason he can talk for this long is he has people on who fascinate him. He doesn't think about demographics. He he doesn't think, oh, I had um, I had Alex Jones on, which means that I'm gonna have more of a right-wing audience uptick this week, so I need to have another right-wing person on right away. 
the next day he might have an MMA fighter on to talk about the last week's UFC. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because you can't fake a sincere interest in what your guests are saying and who your guest is. And sometimes you listen to a podcast and you can just tell the producer thought it was a good idea because it was a big name, but the host isn't actually interested in the game. Exactly. And, that- and, and I used to do that. Um, when I would interview people on the left, a lot of times I would interview people who were just doing the rounds that week. And I would just set up my questions for them to say the same talking points they said on Democracy Now. So many of my questions, it wasn't a conversation. It would start with, tell me about. I'd go, tell me about, um, you know, Venezuela's blah, 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 blah. And it's just setting them up to go to their talking point. Um, And that's not interesting, you know? I mean, they may say interesting things, but it's not an interesting conversation. And I think that's what makes Joe so popular. And that's what makes Quillette so popular is you're not thinking about marketing. You're thinking about what are the things I care about? You know, when, even when I used to interview people on my podcast, it would kind of be the same thing. It would be a UFC fighter. Then it would be Kat Von D. If I was into professional wrestling that week, I would have people from the WWE on. It was like, what am I interested in now? Does that it was fucking schizophrenic and all over the place. So people were very confused. Whereas like now I'm trying to I'm like I have a theme. Um, but I was like, I don't give a shit. I'm doing this for me. And Jamie, you, you use the word schizophrenic in a deeply problematic way. Oh, I'm so, sorry. so sorry, so sorry. You know what? Yeah. Meant- Twitter's gonna hear all about that. Look, uh, remind remind listeners the name of your podcast and what's the easiest way they can subscribe to it. Yeah. So the name of my podcast is the Jamie Kilstein Podcast. You can subscribe for free on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, and that'll be 20-minute short news wrap-up shows, uh, answering your guys' thoughts, debates, Monday through Thursday. And then every Friday is the full-length Patreon episode, um, which is at patreon.com slash Podcast. So for three bucks a month, we all spend $3 in dumb ways. Um, You know, you get these four extra episodes, and you're also... Kind of like with Quillette, like you're taking a stand and you're 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 supporting media that's trying to do something different. That's that's not trying to pander um, to a bunch of tribes. And I mean, we got the the Patreon's new. The podcast is new. But I think people care about this so much. We got some big donors and like we're almost at two thousand dollars a month already, um, which is huge. You know, I would love to be able to make a living not kissing ass to people. Um, so that's it. That's where the podcast is. I'm on Twitter at Jamie Kilstein. Uh, my Instagram is the Jamie Kilstein. Um, I'm on Facebook somewhere as well. And uh, and that's it. I really hope people at least check it out. And 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 I would implore you that if you check it out. Like, so today, I think I talked about um, the Russia scare. So that was kind of going after the left. And then I talked about um, these Parkland uh, kids who have committed suicide and how even if you are, if you're one of those, I think the government's going to take my guns, people. Uh, some some listeners sent in stories about arming teachers and, you know, trying to call out the ridiculousness on that. And I would say if one of your listeners goes to listen to the show and they think I'm funny or they like it or whatever, and their first thought is they hear something they disagree is to turn it off, I would say message me on Patreon why you disagree and I will read that email and I will consider that email and my listeners will consider that email. And I think that once we see, you know, again, we're not going to change liberals to conservatives or conservatives to liberals, but once we see that people on the other side like aren't as big dicks as you think, um, I think then we can at least start having conversations and, you know, hearing each other out a little more. No schizophrenics. But other than that, 
Uh, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> we draw the line somewhere. Yeah, uh, Jamie, thank you so much for being on the Quillette podcast. Thank you, buddy. Uh, good luck with the uh, new project. It sounds exciting. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to quillette.com where you will find more content.